Christian baptism in water. Tell your neighbor, Christian baptism in water. When you hear a topic like this, and especially if you have been baptized in water already by immersion, you are likely to conclude that then the subject doesn't concern me. Well, we will find out because I believe that the word of God is our overseer. There is never a day where anybody can come to church and say that, oh, the word concerns these people, but it doesn't concern me. Because the word of God is living and active. Hallelujah. Meaning that the living word will speak to you in a way that you never knew before. So for those of us who have already been baptized in water, there is a message for you. Hallelujah. And those of us who are yet to believe and those who have already believed are yet to be baptized by immersion, there is also a message for you. So you are not exempted from the word of God today. Likewise myself. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Kindly turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 28. The verses 19 and 20. This is our Lord Jesus Christ himself after he rose from the dead and just before he departed from this world. Let's listen to his final instructions. As a matter of fact, these are the last two verses in the book of Matthew. Matthew 28 verses 19 and 20. Matthew said, Go therefore, this is Jesus speaking, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There's a comma. So it doesn't end there. Verse 20 says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And Matthew ended, Amen. So somebody say, Amen to the word of God. That's beautiful. Can you see in verse 20 that there is a command here? There are times where God admonishes. There are times where God will encourage, exhort. There are times where God will appeal. There are times where God will beseech us, like in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God. And yet there are times where God will command. Here is a command. And those in the military circles know that when it comes to command, it is obey before you complain. Hallelujah. In other words, God is telling you and me this morning that there are some things you may not know. The Bible says the secret, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to the sons of men. There are some instructions until you act on that instruction, you may not know what is hidden behind, what God wants to do with your life. But I believe that by the revelation of scripture, we can even identify that there is a blessing in heeding to this command where Jesus tells us that go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. The Greek word translated baptize here is baptizo. Someone say baptizo. Now, baptizo is from the Greek, I mean, baptizo is, is it means to cause something to be dipped. It means to plunge, to plunge under. 
and cause something to be dipped or plunged or immersed or submerged. Sub is the word under. So it means you bring it under. So when he says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, you and I know that the medium of baptism all throughout scripture is water. Somebody say water. So if, if baptism from the Greek word baptizo means to be dipped into, it means that when Jesus was saying that baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, he was referring to dipping the individual who has believed in water such that the water is not sprinkled upon the person. Rather, the person goes into the medium of baptism, which is water. The person goes under. The person is plunged under. The person is submerged. So for those of us who are here, and probably through your upbringing, you were christened, you were dedicated in church, and then they sprinkled water on you and said that you have been baptized, I dare say on the authority of scripture and by the command of the Lord Jesus Christ that you have not fulfilled scriptural requirement yet as far as baptism is concerned. Hallelujah. But I believe that the message today can prepare you for such a baptism because it is okay if by now you get to know the truth and heed to it than to say, oh, once I was baptized, anyway, anyhow, I'm baptized. It is better to fulfill all righteousness than to do what pleases you because one day you may not be able to give account, a proper account. Hallelujah. So, quickly, I would want us to look at the spiritual significance of this message called baptism or Christian baptism in water. Romans chapter 6, turn your Bibles with me. Romans chapter 6. Let's read from verse 1 through verse 5. Romans 6. This is Paul the Apostle who comes by revelation and starts instructing us, giving us the spiritual picture of an, a, a seeming natural command because baptism, being immersed in water, is a natural act and yet it has its spiritual significance. Just as taking the Holy Communion, the bread, and the wine and calling it the flesh of Jesus and calling it the blood of Jesus, it has a spiritual significance. Is that right? So here we, we find Apostle Paul sent to the Gentiles and talking to the Roman church and of course to IPR for that matter. So let's hear what the Spirit of God says to us through Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6 from verses 1 through 5. Paul said, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2, he says, certainly not. Somebody says, certainly not. Why? He said, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Did you hear that question? How shall we who died to sin Live any longer in it. Let's go on. We'll find out what he meant by died to sin. Verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus take note, you are baptized into what? Were baptized into his death. That is what he meant by you are, you are died to sin. You've died to sin. So how do you now live 
in the same thing that you, you are now unresponsive to. You are dead to. You are independent of. Verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with him. Some say buried. I think the natural phenomenon after death is burial. Is that right? Even if the body is cremated, ultimately, they still bury the cremated body. So the natural consequence, follow up after death, is burial. So here, if we die to sin, then he says that therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Somebody say amen. Alright. Now, let me just read accordingly. I've written down some things here and I would want to just emphasize them based on these five verses of scripture we've just read so that you get the spiritual implication of what Paul means by we are buried with him through baptism. Number one, we identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ through baptism. Can I say that again? I said we, any believer who is born again, who has become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, the reason why our Lord Jesus Christ commands us in Matthew 28 verse 19 and 20 that anyone who believes should be baptized is that once you are buried with him through baptism, you are identifying with his death and then burial. He died. He was buried and after three days and three nights he was raised from the dead and ascended to the father. Likewise, the believer who has believed in Christ Jesus it is a, sim it's a symbol. It's an outward act. Yet it has its great spiritual significance such that the moment you avail yourself to go through the waters of baptism, you identify with his death. So Christ died and therefore you are saying me too, I'm dead. Dead to what? Dead to sin. Some say dead to sin. Alive unto God and dead to sin. So we identify with the death and since you died with him, that means that you must be buried with him through baptism. So any child of God who is born again, who has identified with the death of Jesus Christ, but has not allowed himself to be buried with Christ through baptism, hasn't completed the command yet. You have not fulfilled all righteousness yet. Are you there? All right. Number two. The believer who passes through the waters of baptism commits himself to a new life to God and to righteousness. And I want to say that again. The believer who passes through the waters of baptism. The moment the believer is immersed in water, it's a commitment. You are saying that, hey, I am now committed to a new life to God and to righteousness. Why? Because in the scripture that we read, Romans 6 verse 3, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death, verse 4, therefore we were buried with him 
through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in newness of life. So I am saying here, the number two point I have written here is that the believer who passes through the waters of baptism commits himself to a new life to God and to righteousness. In other words, just as Christ was raised from the dead, when you are coming up out of the water, you are saying that I am now alive unto God. My life is committed to God and to righteousness. I have left the world. I, have, I am dead to the world. I am dead to sin. My past is disconnected from my life forever. Hallelujah. Are you there? Alright. Let's go on. Number three. I said the burial is the outward expression of the death to sin. In other words, when a believer is buried in that water, when he's baptized in that water, it's an outward expression to say that you are now dead to sin. So if, yes, you have believed in Christ Jesus, you are born again, and therefore you are dead to sin. In other words, the sin nature has been washed away. You are no longer responsive to sin. Sin shall not have dominion over you. But to prove that you are really dead to sin, Jesus commands, and someone said Jesus commands, it's not my command. It is an instruction from the master, the head of the church. He is building his church. And he says that for you to be added to the church and for you to have that complete and total covering from him as the head, he says go through the baptism because the burial is the outward expression of your death to sin. Once you go into the waters, it means that you are saying that I'm dead to sin, therefore I am the old man is buried. Come say the old man. It is the death of the old man. According to the book of Galatians, Galatians talks about old man. That is the sin nature. The sin nature is symbolically buried when you go through the waters of baptism. Hallelujah. Let me read number four. Number four, I said the resurrection is the outward expression of the new life to God and to righteousness. The resurrection. In other words, when you are raised from the waters of baptism, you are saying that outwardly, you are expressing that you are now alive to God and to righteousness. It's a requirement. And it has its great spiritual benefit. Somebody say, Amen. Let me read number five, what I wrote here. I said, when someone believes the gospel and the Holy Spirit removes the sin nature, you become dead to sin. You become unresponsive to sin. What does that mean? Let me give a picture. If somebody was used to drinking alcohol and smoking or let's say fornicating or committing adultery and the person as a result of sin shortens his life. In other words, maybe died as a result of a problem he developed through smoking and drinking alcohol or died as a result of a problem he got through sexual immorality. I hope you know, for instance, that you can get sexually transmitted diseases through fornication and adultery. I hope you know that. Likewise, we also have sexually transmitted demons, STD. Hallelujah. So we have STD, which is medical one, and we have STD, which is what? Spiritual. And the spiritual is more dangerous than even the physical. Hallelujah. Alright. So, the person is now born again. 
And according to scripture, which we did not know, but scripture reveals to us that once the person is born again, the sin nature is washed away. The sin nature is removed. The person is now washed on the inside. Sanctified on the inside. Justified on the inside. It is only his mind that is not acquainted with this reality. And that is why scripture says, you should what? Renew your mind. Okay? But God is revealing to us that once you are born again, you are now dead to sin. You are unresponsive to sin. So if somebody was, let's say, alcoholic or a smoker or a fornicator, an adulterer, and as a result of that sin, destroyed his body and died before his time. Such a person, if you go to that dead body and you bring alcohol or cigarettes around, would the person respond to it? Why? Why? He is dead. He is unresponsive to the things that he used to respond to. If you bring the most beautiful lady, and of course, the opposite is the same. If you bring the most beautiful or handsome gentleman around, let's say, a lady who died through fornication, or a man who died through fornication, and you bring the most beautiful lady around, will he respond? I'm asking the question, will he respond? Will she respond? Why? Because the person is dead. That's the picture I'm giving you. That when you go through the waters of baptism, you are saying that I am dead to sin. Therefore, I am no longer responsive to sin. I have turned my back to the world. I am now alive unto God and to righteousness. Somebody say praise the Lord. And that is why in that same Romans chapter 6, it tells us that sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? Because you are no longer under its dominion. It has been removed. It has been washed away. And you are now set apart, independent of the sin nature. And therefore, sin shall not have dominion over you. That is the power of baptism. Are you there? Please, are you following me? When you are immersed in the water, it is symbolic of the burial of the old man. When you are raised from the water, it is symbolic of your separation from the world. Someone say separation. You see, there are two things. When somebody goes into the waters of baptism and he or she is raised, what happens is that, number one, the raising is raising from the water is symbolic of your resurrection from sin. In other words, you are raised as a new man, as a new woman in Christ Jesus. You are a brand new man. The old nature has been buried through the waters of baptism. And symbolically, do you know that water is symbolic of the world? How many know that? In scripture, usually, the Bible talks about the, you know, the waters being you know, the people. Bible uses water as a symbol of you know, the world or people in the world. So when somebody goes through the waters of baptism and is raised from the water, symbolically, you are saying that you are now separated from the world. Somebody say, I'm separated from the world wow in other words i said here i said you are separated from the world unto christ there are two things here separated from the world unto what christ then i said note you have turned your back to the world and you are separated i mean you have, you have turned your back to the world once you are separated from it say i've turned my back to the world once i'm separated from it Bible says that you are in the world but you are not of the world. In other words, yes, we live here but we don't have any relationship with this world as far as its systems and behavior and ideologies are concerned. 
I want us to look at some practical examples here. You can turn your Bible with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Okay, for those of us who are not aware, for the past two weeks, I'm just giving a practical example because we are, we are, I don't want to talk over your head. I am aware that people are watching us live. Yes, the message may also apply to them in one way or the other. But for us as a house, for the past two weeks, and this coming Wednesday will be the third week, we have been dealing with what we call prayer and leadership meeting. And by leadership here, I'm talking about those who are a step ahead of the of the one who is not in Christ yet or who is a step ahead of the one who is just an ordinary member. Somebody who wants to commit him or herself to the things of God. But let's, let's for the purpose of this house, let's say the leader here has to do with somebody who is in Christ as against the one who is still in the world. Is that okay? If you are in Christ, are you not leading the one who is in the world? I'm asking, are you not? In other words, you are many, many, many steps ahead of the one who is in the world, just as there is a great difference between light and darkness. Bible says when we are born again, we are translated from darkness into God's marvelous light. So in a way, you are a leader. The one who is in the world, you may not know, is looking up to you as an example. There are some who may never come to church. Except that they look at you and realize that, ah, this brother... This sister is an example of what they call Christianity. Let me follow him. Let me follow her and go and find out what makes him so unique. What makes her so unique. So you are a leader. True or not true? Ah, so for the purpose of today's message, let's say that all those of us who are born again are leaders over those who are still in the world. You have turned your back to the world. You are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are born again. You are now in light. Somebody is still in darkness. Your mind is open. You believe the gospel. Somebody is still blind. And he's still in the world. So you are a leader. Hallelujah. Alright. So let me use 1 Timothy chapter 3 to address every leader right now. For purposes of communicating practically to all of us. As far as today's message is concerned. Paul writing to... Timothy says, this is a faithful saying. First Timothy 3 from verse 1. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop. Who is a bishop? An overseer. Someone say overseer. So the one who is born again oversees the one who is not born again. That is my, as it were, application. Although here he's talking about somebody who desires the office of an overseer. Let's say a pastor of IPR or an associate pastor of IPR. And I believe that in the course of the period, we will still use this particular scripture to be able to identify by what criteria who becomes a leader of this house. Who becomes an associate pastor of this house. If you have watched what we have been doing all this while. For those who have been acquainted with this ministry. Nine months since it started. All the departments started. I will call it supernaturally. Because without telling anybody what to do. I found people who had various 
abilities, graces, gravitating towards various departments. And that's how all the departments were formed. I'm telling you the truth. I don't know which department, you know, was formed uh, by instruction that you start. All of us, we gravitated towards our area of interest, our area of calling, our area of talent, our area of gifting. Then somewhere along the line, I remember that I said that, okay, because we need to coordinate the various departments that have evolved, let me put coordinators over all the departments and these coordinators plus all the people that are working under them, we are all, including myself, I said it, we are all on probation. Hallelujah. When it comes to leadership in church, it's not about position. It's about the heart and the readiness to make amends and corrections even when you are faulted. Hallelujah. Please, are you following me? All right. Let's go back to the scripture, 1 Timothy 3. So, Paul writing says that this is a faithful saying, if a man desires, it's alright to desire. It's alright because many of us have the calling of God on our lives. So, it's okay for you to desire that I want to be an associate pastor of this ministry. I want to be an overseer of maybe a branch one day. But let's look at the criteria and practicalize our message today. Are you following, people of God? If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Someone say a good work. Look at the qualification and the criteria in from verse 2. A bishop then, if you desire the office of a bishop, a bishop then must be blameless. Hey, hey. Someone say, hey, hey. That alone can disqualify almost every one of us, including myself. Hallelujah. Because in many things, we, we may be blamed. A bishop then must, it's a must, be blameless. God is, I'm saying that the leader is the one who is in Christ over the one who is not yet in Christ. He's still in the world. So if the unbeliever can point an accusing finger at you. You say that you are separated from the world through baptism. You have turned your back to the world. But the one who is in the world can blame you. And you can see that based on God's word, you are to be blamed. God says that you do not qualify to be a leader. Can you imagine how, how strict God's requirements are? That is why we cannot take our Christian life for granted. And think that if I do it, it's about myself. It's not about yourself. It's about all of us. Because somebody is looking at you and me to identify whether they will be one to Christ and come and be a part of this assembly or not. The first criteria is what? A bishop then must be what? Blameless. Now, here he's talking about a male. So, he says, the husband of one wife. If the bishop is a female, must be what? The person must be the wife of one husband. Someone say the husband of one wife. And if the bishop is a female, the wife of one husband. Certainly, I believe that by implication, based on the knowledge of scripture, that's how it's supposed to be. It doesn't mean that only males can be bishops. Because in Christ Jesus, there is neither male nor female. Are you there? It's going to be exciting. Please, tighten your seatbelt. I can see some people are already sweating. This is AC. How come you are sweating? Please, relax your muscles. 
bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, temperate. What does it mean to be temperate? Can I ask? Self-control. Having the calmness of a temperament. Whether you are an extrovert or an introvert. Whether you are a choleric, a sanguine, a melancholic or a phlegmatic. Whichever way, by virtue of the fact that you are separated from the world, you cannot say that, oh me, I'm a choleric, therefore that's how I behave. No! Once you are in Christ Jesus and you have identified with his death, burial and resurrection through baptism and you have turned your back to the world through that separation. I said baptism means to be separated from the world. Once you come up out of the water, once you say you have turned your back to the world, regardless of your temperament, he says be temperate. In other words, Bible says the spirit of a man, the spirit of what? Of a prophet is subject to the prophet. So by virtue of the indwelling Holy Spirit, you can control your temper regardless of your temperament. Are you there? Temperate. So it's a requirement whether you are, don't use your temperament as for us, the tribe that I come from, we are giddy giddy. So you use your giddy giddy to bully everybody because you are from which tribe? So what? Is it tribal requirement he gave here? He gave scriptural requirement. I said it's getting hot. Please don't sweat. It's AC. Glory be to God. Oh, I love Jesus. Because we shall see him face to face one of these days. Look at the next requirement. Sober-minded. Someone says sober-minded. Hey, who can, who can give an example of sober-mindedness? Practical example. We are coming home. Peaceable. Joseph said peaceable. I like that. What other word can you describe sober-mindedness? Somebody sober-minded. The Bible says don't think too highly of your own opinion. What we say in our, in our, in our local language, too known. Hmm? Somebody who thinks too highly of his own opinion. He believes that he knows it all and nobody knows anything and uses his position to bully everybody. Hallelujah. Sober-minded. In other words, you make room for other people's contribution because you don't know it all. Sober-minded. It's our collective input that makes us one. So when you believe that you are, Bible says don't be puffed up. Don't become so proud that you know it all. You don't know it all. Nobody is complete in him or herself. We are complete in Christ. And complete in one another. So I need you, you need me. We need one another. And complete, we are all complete in Christ. Hallelujah. It's getting sweeter. Look at the next one. The next one is what? Of good behavior. Another requirement. Someone say good behavior. The opposite of good behavior is what? Bad behavior. Can you give practical examples of bad behavior? As far as church is concerned? Backbiting? I like that. That's Sajinam. Yes. Gossip. Which other one? Not attending to instructions. And which one again? Good behavior. Oh, please. You're looking at these are angels. I'm seeing angelic faces. Did you have an angelic encounter before coming to church? Mannerism. Good behavior. Please give example. I said we are coming home. We are practicalizing the message now. We have said we are saying we have turned our back to the world. We are facing the cross. No more turning back. And it says that if you have turned your back to the world, you are a leader of the, over the one in the world. And one of the requirements for the one in the world to be able to look at you without you preaching to him or her and coming to Christ is what you must have good behavior. 
What are some of the practical examples? Stefano, you want to give us an example? Obeying the instructions of God. In other words, like Mary told the people, whatever he tells you to do, do it. That's a good behavior. Thank you. Any other person who want to give it? Yes, sir. Ready to learn and accommodate. That's a good behavior. When you are unteachable, it's a dangerous thing. When you're not ready to learn, you believe that you know it and that's what I know. Nobody wants to learn. It's a bad behavior and it can put somebody off in Christ and it can stop somebody from just becoming a member of the local assembly like IPR because you have a bad behavior. I want more practical examples. Yes, mommy. You said what? Respectful. Being respectful is a good behavior. Do you know there are some examples of disrespect where Somebody is coming to church and you don't know whether the person is born again or not. And who knows? That may be a day of his salvation. And then you look at the person and say, don't do that. If you are an usher, if you are a porter, if you are a worker, you are supposed to accommodate. To accommodate. You use the word accommodate. You are supposed to, even if the person is wrong, he, you are, your life is supposed to win the person from the world into Christ. So he expects you to have a good behavior. Don't lord it over the people. And make them feel inferior because you are superior because you hold a position you're not a boss you are a steward you are a servant another one is what hospitable someone say hospitable hey that's another one hospitable what is hospitality those who are in the hospitality industry to be hospitable, it means to be what? Caring. And the other word you use is what? Accommodating. Ready to open your doors. Being friendly. Bible says that don't be forgetful to entertain strangers. For some have entertained angels unawares. Somebody can walk into your house and it's a stranger. Don't say, Who are you? What do you want here? Before the person will not tell you that, oh, I knew you. So, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Why should you put a strange behavior towards a stranger? And then later on, you got to know that you should have behaved well. Or, let's say somebody calls the, 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 the church line and you are in charge of the church line. And the first response is, who is this? Who is on the line? Who are you? Who are you? Who am I talking to? Then the person says, oh, I am the, the secretary to the president of the Republic of Ghana. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. How are you? Is that a good behavior? Is that, is that hospitality? You have already marked yourself that you are not hospitable. And I'm telling you, if you do that to me, next time I may not call again. We are looking at all of us who are born again, being leaders over those who are yet. There are many out there in the world. They don't have any example. They may not reach, they may not read the Bible. Take note. Because what do they care about the Bible? So you are the Bible they are reading. Bible says we are living epistles. Do you not live in epistles? This is the written epistle. But the living epistle is the one who is born again, who is walking in flesh and blood. You, they may not read Bible, but when they are walking, they are reading you. So when you are not hospitable, when you are not of good behavior, when you are whatever we have read, I mean read here, I'm telling you, you may be chasing somebody away from Christ. And remember, the owner of the church will one day require their blood from you. I said who? The owner of the church. We have identified in our leadership meeting that there is nobody who owns any church anywhere. We were all bought with the precious blood of Jesus. As leaders, he has made us stewards. 
and it is required of stewards that a man be found faithful nobody's a boss i'm never a boss i have never said that i own ipr never and i will never own ipr never did i shed my blood for anybody Jesus shed his blood and he commissioned us by grace to go and preach the gospel. If through me somebody got saved, it doesn't mean I own the person. Jesus owns the person. Oh, glory. It's getting hotter. Let's go on. Hospitable. Then, able to teach. The King James says apt to teach. Able to teach. So, do you realize for instance, when we talked about the Christian leader last week Wednesday, do you realize why I said that a leader is someone who after he has been taught should, it's a must, should be able to teach others also until you are able to teach others also what you have been taught. You are not. So, this is one of the requirements. Able to teach. That one you can't say, me, I don't know how to teach. It's a lie. Even if you come and use your own language, that is why we said in the leadership meeting that it's not mandatory that you must come and quote word for word. We are not in, um, you know, secondary school. Those days in early secondary school where you have to do chew and pour. You take a whole notebook and somebody will be reading. Whilst you are chewing, you are pouring everything and it's exact words. We are not dealing with that. This is not performance. We are not performing here. You are not in a theater where you have to come and perform. It is salvation of souls who shall not perish. So even if you didn't go to school, but you can use some broken English to communicate the essential message, still teach it anyway. Don't say, I don't talk like pastor, so I, I, I am not able to teach. He didn't say you should talk like me. Look. Hallelujah. I have told you before, for, uh, for instance, me, standing here and preaching in English language is grace. We were those who went to Saito who couldn't speak English. If you hear me speaking English today, it is just because God wants me to reach a certain people. So he just turned my language. Hallelujah. Can I still continue? Because we are still doing some things here. It's going to get hotter, I'm telling you. Verse 3 says, not giving to wine. Hey. I said what? Not giving to what? Wine. Wine. Do you know that they are believers? Instead of depending on the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 says, And be not drunk with wine in which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Instead of allowing the Spirit of God they have received to fill them, they prefer a quick one. They believe that when they take wine, then they can have some soundness of mind. They will tell you that, oh, he said that he didn't say do not be drunk. So once I take it and I'm not drunk and I'm okay, you are deceiving yourself. You are entertaining evil. Sin is lying at your door. Just a little drop here, another drop here. Before you realize, you have to increase because the day will come. Your body will be so used to the quantity you have been taking. So you have to increase it. Increase it. A day will come. You will come to church and you are giving the microphone to come and preach. And because you are so dependent on alcohol, the, the day they say come and breathe, that day you must take alcohol. So when you stand before people and you talk, they can, you can even use whatever to, to, to subdue the smell of alcohol. And yet when you talk, they can, they can smell that you are blowing fuse on them. Not violent. Wow. Have you seen a violent bishop before? I'm asking, have you seen a violent pastor before? A violent leader before? One who can be so nice 
from the pulpit. And right from the pulpit, he is almost removing his jacket and ready to fight. I won't mention the name because the person has gone to be with the Lord. But I saw one before and I was sold. I'm telling you. So God knows why he says not violent. Because he knows that sometimes you can be violent. Because you believe that Sani and Wo, that's the way they gave it to you. That's who you have been. So you want to be like that? And then you can be a leader over God's people. Not violent. Can we go on? Then he said what? The next one is what? Not greedy for money. Never you become a leader over God's people with the intention that you're going to get money from them. Then you should have gone to look for a job out there. Don't you have a certificate? And if you have, even if you don't have a certificate, haven't you learned anything with your hands? Can't you do anything with your life? Are you preaching to the people with the intention that that is how I can make money? That is greediness for money. The Bible said the love of money is the root of all evil. He didn't say money is the root, but the love of it. If you are greedy for money, the reason why you want to do church, the reason why you want to be an overseer, the reason why you want to lead God's people is because of money. You've gotten it wrong entirely. And you've got to repent. Hallelujah. All right. I'm getting there. But he said, not greedy for money, but gentle. Somebody say gentle. Not quarrelsome. Hmm, another one. Someone say quarrelsome. What is a synonym of being quarrelsome? Being quar I'm talking a synonym. Not antonym. Synonym. Can you give me a synonym of being quarrelsome? Somebody who's quarrelsome. Somebody who's what? Violent. Contentious. Someone say contentious. Do you know in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 11, Paul said, don't, don't turn from here. I'm just quoting it. Paul said, it has been declared unto me by the household of Chloe that there are contentions, there are divisions among you. Do you know as a house, for instance, it's not everything the pastor or the leader will know by revelation. There are some things God will reveal to us. There are some things that must be reported. In this context, the reporting is to help all of us identify that there is a strange behavior that can affect all of us. That's why the report, it is born out of love, not out of mischief. Are you there? You are not reporting because you want to undo the other. No, you are reporting because you realize that this is, is, is dangerous. It is not a healthy habit that has entered the church. In the case of Paul the Apostle, it was division contention that was in the Corinthian church and he said the household of Chloe he went even to the son of mentioning those who reported it to him there is something called the shepherd's rod some said the shepherd's rod David said thy rod and thy staff they what comfort me but the shepherd's rod does not only comfort there are times when the sheep will be straying and the shepherd will say oh yeah move in and you use the rod to correct to hit you betimes he will not hurt you but he wants to push you in. Say, hey, get in the lane. You are strained. You are misbehaving. And that misbehavior can lead somebody who is out there in the world astray. It may put that, believer, that unbeliever off. Because he will say that, ah, I thought we used to do this in the world. But if you are also doing it in Christ, then I'm not going into Christ. So because of you, somebody stayed away from Christ. Do you know what that means? 
Not covetous. Somebody say covetous. What is covetousness? What is covetousness? Be covetous. Can you give me a synonym? Yes. When they breathe here, you have, but you are not content. You still want to have the one that the other person. Do you know that to the extent that sometimes you can have somebody who is married or let's say has a fiancé and the church knows that this is so so and so's fiancé and yet you are so covetous of the other sister. You want to add that sister to yourself as a second wife or what? I'm asking the question. Please answer my question. Everybody knows that you are married. And everybody knows that you are in a relationship. And on that note, I want to announce to this house, people of God, that by the special grace of God, International Prayer Resort in the books of the laws of Ghana has been gazetted. And by that, I mean that we, are, we have the authority to celebrate and officiate wedding ceremonies right in this revival tabernacle. On that note, it means that any relationship, and for that matter, marital relationship that needs to be regularized. And by regularization, I mean that needs to be put in the right context so that you will not bring a reproach unto Christ nor to bring a bad name, not for IPR, but for the church of Jesus Christ. Anybody, and thank God we are a handful of people, so all married couples, in one way or the other, we know ourselves. Is that right? There are those who are not yet married and came with their relationship. Let's say the man came with the lady or the lady came with the man. Once you have the intention and I'm announcing to all of us, once you have the intention, let it be the practice of this house, once you have the intention that you, you would want to, you know the pastor will not choose for you, I hope you know that. Yet, you are, once you have the intention that, okay, so, so, and so, I made my intention known to you that one day I would want to have you as a wife. And then the woman says, yes, I agree. Once that is agreed upon, immediately, please, whether pastor gets to know about it or not, let me know first. Later on, when we set up the executive committee of this house and the deacons, you can pass through those channels. But for now, and I know very soon we're going to set up that before our anniversary. Hallelujah. Are you following me? Okay, let's go to verse 4. Verse 4, First uh, Timothy 4, First uh, Timothy 3 says, One who rules his own house well. Hey, look at the requirement. If you read the King James, that one is a very... The, the King James says, ha, the New King James says, having his children in submission with all reverence. But we can read the King James. It's some powerful words there. Having his children with, in subjection with all gravity. Is that what you have there? Read it for us. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. How many know gravity, people of God? You know gravity? Force of gravity. Where you throw something up and it will come down. So, look at the picture. The Spirit of God is giving the leader that, hey, for the sake of the name of the church of Jesus Christ, so that it will not be blasphemed, don't let your children misbehave. 
Don't let them say that. See, that's the pastor's children. Look at them. And then, he wants to now rule us. We will not obey. So for the sake of that, he must have his children in subjection with all gravity. Gravity means that you, you also on pain, but you push, you are going under. I don't want, as a leader, for the name of Jesus Christ to be blasphemed. So I'm obeying scripture. Having his children in subjection with all gravity. The New King James says that one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. Someone say reverence. I hope you know reverence. From which we have gotten the, the, the title reverend minister. Reverend. And sometimes we can carry that title and still behave irreverently. Don't carry the title reverend and be an irreverent. Do you know, for instance, for somebody to be gazetted, apart from the church being gazetted to officiate or celebrate marriages, the one who officiates marriages must also be gazetted. I hope you know that. And now, the requirements have even been tightened. They will even ask which school you went to, what qualifications you have, would you submit to as your, your superior, your father, or your, somebody you are accountable to. It's a requirement. And then your ordination certificates to show that you are a reverend before the attorney general will say now you are gazetted and stand in the place you will have the same office as what do you call it? A magistrate. Magistrate to officiate weddings. So for you to not carry the title reverend and you are an irreverend it's a dangerous thing. This is not positional. This is God talking to us. People, are you here? Alright. We are still talking about Christian baptism in water in case you, you thought that. I'm just giving an example and I'm giving practical examples in the house that we are supposed to be leaders over those who are out there in the world. Look at their empty chairs here. It's supposed to be filled with people who have believed the gospel. And must have seen God's hand upon your life and feel that look I belong to this church but why should it be that because of you somebody said that if it is this brother if it is this sister then I'm not coming to church if for the sake of this particular behavior or habit somebody will be chased out into the world and may lose his soul then I better talk from the pulpit hallelujah all right Look at verse 5. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? That's a good question. Is that right? Let me conclude verse 6 and 7. Not a novice. Who is a novice? Who? A novice? Tell me please. I'm listening. A new convert. I like that. A, a babe. You say a babe. Yeah. One who? A learner. He said, not a novice, less being puffed up with pride. You know when you're a learner, a novice, you can easily be puffed up. You believe that, oh, they are hailing me. Jesus, I hail you. You too, you're also receiving the hail of men. Especially when you have one revelation or one vision or whatever. The prophetic is supposed to be used to advertise the world to come. Or for that matter, the gifts of the spirit. When people get healed, when people get delivered, when people get blessed, when people receive deep prophetic revelations, the 
essence of all these things is so that when the person gets astonished, wow, how did you know this? They tell them, ah, if this astonishes you, then you haven't seen anything yet. Because there's only a taste of the powers of the world to come. So you take attention from yourself to the powers of the world to come. You take attention from yourself to Christ who is to come. But what we have done is that when there's a deep revelation and the person I'm shocked, then all of a sudden we want to now carry the minister and heal him. It is wrong. He says, not a novice, less being puffed up. With pride, he falls into the same condemnation as the devil. Did you hear that? Less he fall. God doesn't want anybody to fall into the same condemnation as the devil. You know the devil's condemnation. There is no, there is no appeal as far as Satan's judgment is concerned. It is a done deal. Everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And God won't do anything about it. So he says that don't put a novice, a babe, an infant, somebody who is still learning, who doesn't know the fundamentals. Don't put him as a leader or else he will be puffed up. He will become so proud. He believes that he knows. Instead of being a servant, he's a boss. And he may fall into the same condemnation as the devil. And I won't do that. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside. Jesus Christ. Hey, hey. Somebody tap your, 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 your thighs. This one is too heavy. Hey, 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 hey. Look at the qualification of a leader. He didn't say he must have a good testimony among those inside. Among those who? So don't say, after all, it's out there. It doesn't matter. Once we are here and nobody knows me, I'm okay, I'm a leader. You are a liar. We will go by the standard of scripture. He says, moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside. Then he gave a reason. Lest he falls into the reproach and the snare of the devil. Do you know the reproach of the devil? Where? They will say, look at him. Look at him. He says, he's a pastor. He says he's what? He's a deacon. He's an elder. Look at him. And then they make mockery, not of IPR, but of the church, of the living God. If you thought that it is just IPR, then that could have been it. But we are a part of a body. The Bible says when one member suffers, the whole body suffers. When one member is honored, the whole body rejoices. He says a little living, living left the whole lamp. You know living? That is yeast. You put yeast into a dough. Before I realize the dough rises, it ferments and rises and it becomes a big loaf. When you bake it, that small thing becomes a big loaf of bread. So if it is blessing, if it's blessing, small blessing, it affects all of us. That is why it says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. As we are together like this, somebody may not have, but by virtue of another person who has, there is a transference of that grace. God brings us to the same level of grace. So if there is sin somewhere, there is also a transference. That is why we are watchers over one another. I'm not exempted, including myself. Somebody must watch over me. Are you there? Because we don't want to do this work. And when we have arrived, the master will say, the chief shepherd will say, I don't know you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Why should that be the case? When we are an end time prophetic ministry with a passion to help this generation walk with God and prepare a people ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus and we are doing otherwise. The house is hot. 
But let it be so. Because nine months, this month is closing. This is half of the year. This is a year of the prophetic. The next half of the year, we must walk in the will of God. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in you. Let somebody out there identify that, hey, this is because of this brother, because of this sister. I want to go and find out what happens in church. I've never been to church. But when he came, he said, ah, I love the church. They were so hospitable. They loved people. They did not despise me. Although I didn't look like them, but they still embraced me. I want to be a part of the church. And before I realize that person now changes his way of doing things and conforms and gets transformed through the renewing of his mind. So those of us who are born again, who have already been baptized in water, we are saying that we are dead to sin. When we went through the waters of baptism, we were separated from the world. So we have decided, it's a decision, I'm not going back to the world. The way I used to behave in the world, I won't bring it into Christ. How shall we say, how shall we continue to live in sin when we are dead to wait? He said, shall we continue to live in sin so that grace may abound? God forbid, certainly not. Alright, turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Let me show you examples of baptism that took place in scripture so that you will know that the apostles, the first century church, they obeyed the command of Jesus in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. And we will also identify that when Jesus said that baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we will see how they did it. Acts chapter 2, first and foremost, Acts 2, where I'm just giving you quickly, I'll just read through the examples so that we can take the next step forward. Acts 2, 41. The Bible says, Then those who gladly receive his word. This was when the Holy Spirit had come upon the apostles and the disciples on the day of Pentecost. And then they, Peter preached the message to those who were mocking them. And the Bible says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. Some say they were baptized. And that day, it was the same day. In our time, we seem to delay. I wish that God gives us the opportunity so that when people are converted, born again, that same day, they will also be baptized because it's a requirement. And all throughout the scriptures I'm going to read, you will see that they fulfilled the command of Jesus. We, as an end-time generation, end-time ministry, must fulfill the command of Jesus as well. I would say, then those who gladly receive his word, were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Somebody say amen. What a powerful harvest of souls. 3,000 souls in one day. It shall happen in our time. Turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts 8, 36 through 39. Acts 8, 36 through 39. The Bible says, this was, this, let me give you a background. This was when Philip was doing crusades somewhere, I think in Samaria. And then the Spirit of God spoke to him that leave whatever you're doing and go to the wilderness and meet a man in the wilderness and I'll tell you what to do. So Philip went to the wilderness and saw an Ethiopian, an Ethiopian eunuch. And look at, after he had prayed to him and all that, that, that verse 36 says that now as they went down the road, they came to some water. Some say some water. Have you seen? So the, the medium of baptism is water. It's not oil. It's not, it's not kerosene. 
It's not petrol. It's not which other one? Diesel. Hmm. They came to some water. So don't let anybody immerse you in any other thing apart from water. They came to some water and the eunuch said, see here is water. Here is water. That means that although scripture is silent about it, that means that when Philip preached the message, he did not only end about giving your life to Christ, but he must also have preached to him that when you believe, then you must be baptized. So now the Ethiopian eunuch is making reference to the father. See water. Look at what he said. Verse 36. See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? I like that. This was a ready-minded person. The Ethiopian eunuch was ready. What hinders me? Since there's water here. Philip said, verse 37. Then Philip said, if you believe, look at the condition. What's the condition? If you believe with all your heart, you may. Oh, I like that. That's the condition. You believe the gospel. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Verse 38. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Did you see that? They went where? They went down into the water. Take note of the next verse. Verse 39 says, Now when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. They went down into the water. Take note, please. Watch what I'm doing. They went down into the water and the Bible says they came up out of the water. You don't go down until you go in. That is why they came up and then out. So baptism, like we define from the Greek word baptizo, is not sprinkling. It is immersion. It is a burial where the individual is buried completely under the medium of water. So they went down into the water and they came up out of the water. So if you are here and you were baptized, otherwise, know that you haven't fulfilled the command of Jesus yet. Are you there, somebody? All right. Acts chapter 10. Quickly. Acts 10, verse 44 through 48. Acts chapter 10, 44 through 48. Can I read it? The Bible says, while Peter was still speaking these words, this was when Peter went to Cornelius' house. And he was talking to the Gentiles. This is the first time Peter was having any contact with a Gentile. While Peter speak, was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. I like this picture. Verse 45 says, And those of the circumcision, that is the Jews, who believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Are you there? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water? That these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Verse 48. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Someone say in the name of the Lord. So we are discovering something. Jesus said, Anyone who believes, baptize the person in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. But here, he baptized them in the name of the Lord. Meaning that, 
You don't do baptism by saying that I baptize you. Then the person goes into the water. In the name of the Father, you bring the person out. In the name of the Son, you bring the person out. In the name of the Holy Spirit. No. How many times do we bury somebody who is dead? Once. So if you died once to sin, then you are buried once. In the name of the Lord. And you will discover in Acts 19, as we go on, that that name is the name Jesus Christ. So the, the three in one God, the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all three respond to one name. It is the name Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Philippians 2, God also has highly exalted Jesus and giving him the name that is above every name. So the title of the Godhead, just like in, the, in government, we have the president of the Republic of Ghana. And then we have the office of the president. So we have people who work in the office of the president. And sometimes when you want to knock on the door of the president, some people can respond in his name. Likewise, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit, all three respond to the name of the Lord Jesus. So the person is buried once and therefore he is baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And he comes up out of the water. He's raised from that water unto newness of life. Put your hands together to the Lord. All right. I wanted to observe something in this Acts chapter 10 that we've just read. You realize that in the case of the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They began to speak in other tongues before they were even baptized. Meaning that it's okay if somebody gets born again and the person needs to receive the Holy Spirit. In the case of Peter, he didn't even lead them to Christ. Whilst he was talking, God himself did the conversion of their hearts and filled them with the Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues. So God is wonderful. He does as he wills. Hallelujah. Alright, let's go on to Acts 16. Another example in Acts 16, 27 through 33. Acts chapter 16, 27 through 33. This was Paul the Apostle and Silas who were kept in prison. And at midnight, they prayed and sang praises. And then there was an earthquake. The prison doors were open. Look at from verse 27 of Acts 16. The Bible says, And the keeper of the prison awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Hmm. 28. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, says, what must I do to be saved? This was the jailer now asking for salvation. 31. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you, did you see that condition again? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. 32. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him. So you must speak the word of the Lord for the person to believe and then to all who were in his house. Hallelujah. Verse 33. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and his family were baptized. Verse 19. From 1 to 6. From verse 1 to 6. And it happened. While Apollos was at Corinth. And that Paul. Having passed through the upper regions. Came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples. He said to them. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? So they said to him. We have not so much as heard. Whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them. Into what then were you baptized? So they said. Into John's baptism. John's baptism was a transitional baptism. It was a baptism to convert those who were under the old covenant to make them ready for the coming Christ. That was John's baptism. 
Verse 4. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance. It was called the baptism of repentance. Saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come, come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. So, they were baptized. John's baptism was also immersion. But because they were not baptized in the name of Jesus, it was not the true baptism yet. So, there are some of us here who might have gone through some baptism by immersion, but maybe it was not in the name of the Lord Jesus. Or it was not based on the gospel. Maybe it was somebody else's baptism. You must still fulfill the scriptural requirement. Hallelujah. Look at verse 6. Let me end with that. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Somebody say amen. I want you to look at two things as I round up my message. In the case of the Cornelius household, Cornelius and his household, while Peter was preaching, the Holy Ghost fell on all those who heard the word and they began to speak in tongues even before they would be baptized. So Peter said that, who can forbid water? Seeing these people have believed and have received the same thing that we also received on the day of Pentecost. So who can forbid water? So they received the Holy Spirit before they were baptized. In the case of the disciples from Ephesus that Paul witnessed to, they were baptized and afterwards Paul laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So God is not a God of formula. We cannot say that chin chin, by all means you must first be born again, you must be baptized in water, then we, we, know, we must not lay hands on you for you to receive the Holy Spirit. God does as he wills. After all, was he not the one who converted Paul? He was, he was an injury. Bible says he was a murderer. It was Paul who supervised the death of Stephen. And he, was, he had letters to go to Jerusalem, letters from Jerusalem, you know, to go to Damascus to get other disciples and slaughter them alive. He had the legal mandate, authority from the state. And on his way, the Bible says there was a light that was brighter than the noonday sun that blinded the man. And he heard a voice from heaven. So, 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 why persecutest thou me? Why are you persecuting me? And look at what Paul said. He said, who art thou, Lord? He called him Lord. Hallelujah. Then said, Jesus said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Listen. So whenever you do anything to a fellow brother or sister, who are you doing it to? The head of the body. You are doing it to Jesus the head of the body. Was Paul after Jesus physically? He never knew Jesus when Jesus walked the earth. But when Jesus responded to his question, he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Don't persecute anybody because you may be doing it to Jesus. Don't hurt a brother or a sister because you may be doing it to Jesus. Don't despise a brother or a sister because you may be doing it to Jesus. Are you there? Let there be love shared amongst us. Let the love of God be so strong that we as a house can become a witness. We don't need to go evangelism and wear some tag and say that evangelism team before we can win souls. By our lifestyles alone, we can bring many to the saving knowledge of Jesus. I bless you today with the word of God. As I bless you today with the word of God, that whether you are baptized already or you are yet to be baptized, May our lives be consecrated. Look at an instruction. Let me give you an instruction. We are giving the book of Jude to tell you how God means the salvation of souls. Look at Jude. Jude is one chapter. You don't need to turn it. Let me just read it to you. From verse 22, he says, And on some have compassion. 
making a distinction. Listen, we can use compassion to make a difference. The King James says, making a difference. There are those who are already rejected out there. They are battered. Can you do something about my, 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 my microphone for me, please? Yeah. They are already battered. They are already bullied. They are already, they've gone through all the hurts, the pain, the disappointment, the frustration. They've gone through it all. But when they come to church and we do the same to them as they did to them out there, there's no difference. There's no distinction. He says, and on some, have compassion. Making a distinction, making a difference. Then he said, but others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. <laughs> that may be another subject for another day, but I'm dwelling on, and on, and on some pull out of the fire, saved with fear. In other words, you just know that if you don't do something about it, this brother, this sister can go to hell. So you pull them out of the fire. And in pulling out of the fire, sometimes it can be a wrestle. Is that not so? So, it means that it must be by fire, by force. You are, you are coming out of sin. That is what I've done today. Though, I have not used the full force of the shepherd's rod. But some must be pulled out of the fire. Pulled out of the fire. Why should we, as a ministry, come this far and you do not conform to the standards of the vision of the house? And of some pull out of the fire save with fear you just know that this one you must help him you must help her else she will go to hell or he will go to hell see i refuse to go to hell with one simple reason because jesus already went to hell say because jesus already went to hell in my name why should affliction arise a second time he went there so i don't need to go there 